0: Hello, welcome back. I'm Caitlin, And I'm Emily. We're the executive directors and co-founders of ATX TV. And you're listening to the TV Campfire. This week and coming up through the end of 2021, we're releasing exclusive and original conversations from our season 10 festival that premiered in June 2021. Please enjoy this week's release and tune in both here and on youtube.com/ATXTV for even more TV goodness. Without further ado, here's this week's TV Campfire episode from season 10 of ATX TV Festival. Enjoy.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to opening night of ATX Television Festival season 10. I'm Jennifer Morgan, Director of Programming for ATX, and this is Laura Kincaid, our Director of Operations. Laura, can you believe we've been doing this for 10 years? I really, truly cannot. Well, we have the gray hair to prove it, or at least I do. But tonight, our inner teens are thriving, and we are here to celebrate one of our all-time personal favorite series, Degrassi, The Next Generation. How are you feeling right now? I am feeling all of my emotions. All of my feelings are happening right now. I am so excited. I'm a little bit beside myself. I'm trying really hard not to use my hands too much in this intro. I am pumped i know not to be corny but i like literally can't get the smile off my face um as somebody who has watched a truly obscene amount of series over the last 20 years degrassi might be the most formative it's the one that made me fall in love with tv in the first place and to be able to get this group together for opening night of year 10 is a true bucket list moment i'm definitely going to get emotional about it if i keep talking well you know I, i totally understand um but do you think that they're maybe tired of hearing us gush about them already? Probably, should we get on with it? (laughs) Let's, Um, but before we bring out our moderator, this is your friendly reminder that all 385 perfect, amazing episodes of Degrassi, The Next Generation, are streaming right now for free on Tubi. We are extremely grateful to have Tubi as a supporting partner for this year's festival, but now let's get on with the show. Please welcome our moderator and fellow Degrassi obsessive, Lewis Peitzman, whose writing has appeared in the New York Times, Vulture, and Time magazine. Hello, Lewis.
2: Hello. It's been been a whole pandemic year and I'm still figuring out Zoom, but thank you for your patience. I'm here.
1: You're doing great. We're going to let you take it from here.
2: Great, Um, I just wanna welcome everyone again to the ATX Television Festival's Degrassi, The Next Generation 20th anniversary reunion sponsored by Tubi. Um, I am thrilled to be here like so many of you and certainly people on this panel, Degrassi was a huge part of my adolescence, um, kind of defined my high school experience. My friends and I watched a lot of Degrassi um, and I did dress up as a Degrassi character for Halloween. I was Toby, Um, all of my friends dressed up, actually we were those kids. Um, and as much as I'd like to talk about my high school experience, I know we're all here to hear from the people who helped create the fictional high school experience of Degrassi, The Next Generation. So I'm gonna go ahead and bring out our panelists uh, before I bore you too much. Um, I'm going to start uh, with uh, the co-creator and executive producer of Degrassi, The Next Generation. Uh, please welcome Linda Schuyler. Thank you,
3: Linda. Um,
2: hello, Linda. Um, Next up, uh, we have executive producer, Stephen Stone.
4: Welcome to the program.
2: (laughs) And we also have writer and executive producer, Aaron Martin. Hello. Hello, Aaron. Um, And finally, he was a producer and a director. You might also know him as Archie Snake Simpson. Please welcome Stefan Brogren.
5: Hello, everybody. Hi, Lewis. How are you?
2: I'm, I'm doing amazing. This is very, this is 100% intense for me. Um, Linda, I want to start with you because, you know, it, it did all start with you. You co-created the first Degrassi series, uh, The Kids of Degrassi Street, in 1979. Um, I, I, this is probably an obvious question, but could you ever have imagined what the franchise would become back then?
3: Louis, it is for me, we are celebrating my 41st year of having um, worked on Degrassi. Not, not continuous, but it was 1980 that the first Degrassi went on air. And let me tell you, we had no idea that Ida Makes a Movie was even going to start a single series. Uh, it was just a one-off at the time. And it grew into a series called The Kids of Degrassi Street, and then into uh, Degrassi Junior High, into Degrassi High, Then we took a bit of a hiatus, and then we came back with, as you said, 300-plus episodes eventually of um, Degrassi, The Next Generation, and it, it still amazes me to think back. I mean, my career began as a junior high school teacher. I taught for eight years before I became a television producer, and you're quite right. I had absolutely no idea that we could be here today talking about such longevity that the series has had.
2: Well, we're talking about, you know, Degrassi TNG, and, and I know that there are a lot of fans here. Um, let's talk about sort of that, that reboot and how that came about. I mean, what was the the origin of, of Next Generation and why was that the right time to, to reboot Degrassi?
3: Well, it's interesting because when we um, closed out what we now call Degrassi Classic, which would have been like junior high and high, with um, schools out, my creative team at the time, Yamore, Moore, Kit Hood and myself, we just figured we were done with school, we were done with teenagers, we were finished. And um, in fact, we went on to produce other shows. Interestingly enough, started to miss teenagers. I've always loved working with teenagers, started to miss them. And then at the same time, two very interesting things happened on our national broadcaster, CBC, one, there was a, um, a talk show called John Ovision, and he decided on John Ovision to do a Degrassi reunion. And it became the most watched John Ovision that there had ever been and created a whole bunch of excitement about Degrassi. Meanwhile, CBC were running Degrassi, the classic shows as a strip after school and a whole new generation had passed by and a whole new generation were finding this show. So what with the, um, the great excitement on uh, genre vision, the high ratings they were getting in the script that strip that was happening every um, day after school, we thought, and at first we didn't even think we were going to start Degrassi again. We thought, you know, it really is time to start developing another teenage show, which we did, didn't use the name Degrassi. And so one day, my um, writer, Jan Moore came in, he said, Okay, Linda, I've been in the shower, I do a lot of thinking in the shower. And um, I think I've been thinking about whole, how old spikes baby would be. And Spike was our pregnant teenager in Degrassi Junior High. He said, I think her baby Emma is about the right age to go to junior high. And with that the penny dropped, it was like, Oh, my God, we're not just going to come back with a teenage show. We're going to come back with Degrassi, the next generation. And we're going to link where we were in the 80s to where we will be in the beginning of the 2000s. And there began just this amazing, exciting, wonderful project and the opportunity to meet all these great people here. And um, it's just been unbelievably wonderful.
2: So, I mean, you, the, the, you know, nowadays you see this all the time, you have reboot series and continuation series that years later bring back these, you know, beloved characters with a new generation. Um, but Degrassi Next Generation was, was very early with that. Um, what were the discussions like in terms of which characters to bring back, which storylines to reference? How did you kind of decide what to link and, and you know, why, do, why to bring Snake back? Not that we're not grateful, but like how did these discussions happen?
3: Well, it really was that whole discussion about Emma that was that was pivotal. And um, interestingly enough, I'll just tell you a a, a brief story about Emma. We won an Emmy for the Degrassi Junior High episode, which was called It's Late. And that was the one where Emma uh, Spike found out she was pregnant. And when we won the Emmy, my partner at the time said, And we're gonna name Spike's baby after the Emmys. We're gonna call her Emma. And so we had this character, Emma, who we knew was about the right age. And so therefore it was a brilliant link because we were able to link her into Spike and Spike and and Snake had had uh, an interesting relationship in in, um, junior high and high school. Um, And with with um, Snake came the opportunity to bring the Zip Remedy back with uh, Joy Jeremiah and Wheels. So we thought, okay, this is it was a very exciting opportunity for us as producers, because we were able to think about who would who would be great to bring back from the old series. And then we had a, a, a blank slate. Because for Emma and all of her kids, we had the opportunity, all of her friends, to recreate a whole student body and do it at a time when the internet was just starting to take off, which hadn't even been heard of when we were um, in the classic show. And that's when we met the wonderful Aaron Martin, who was just fresh out of um, the film school at the, uh, which one was it, Aaron?
6: Uh, the Canadian Film Centre.
3: That's right. And, and it was so great because Aaron had been a fan of the original show. And then he joined us as a young writer and brought so much energy and enthusiasm to helping us develop this whole new, wonderful cast of characters.
6: Yeah. I mean, you guys hired me fresh out of film school and it was uh, it was a dream job. It was uh, I mean, I'm so lucky and, and I owe my subsequent career to both of you. So
4: thank you. <laughs> Well, and and if I may say, we uh, I was a fan of Star Trek, the original Star Trek, and of course, of course, came back as to as Star Trek: The Next Generation, and hence. The name for Degrassi, The Next Generation. But I remember thinking the original Star Trek would, was the best Star Trek of all. Nothing could be better than William Shatner and, and Leonard Nimoy. And, the, and of course, I was wrong. Uh, Captain Picard carried on in The Next Generation, uh, in, you know, really won over a new, a new generation. And that's sort of what happened with Degrassi. When it first came back, um, it was successful, people liked it, but a lot of people were saying, Ooh, you know, it just wasn't as good as the old show. It wasn't as good, it, it, they just don't have the, the same kind of authenticity. It's a little bit too glossy. It's, it's different. And of course, after about a year that changed and the series really took off.
2: I think, uh, fans of Star Trek probably guessed you were also a fan when you named, uh, JT, James Tiberius.
4: <laughs> exactly.
2: Um, I want to ask about fan reaction. You really, you know, you, the original series, you know, obviously had some controversial storylines and you jumped right into things (laughs) The next generation with a, you know, internet predator storyline. Um, I guess, what was the reaction like back then? And and what sort of um, were there controversies like early on or or what did it take a while for people to kind of um, feel bothered by any of it?
6: I'm not sure that, Canadians get controversial about those things. I think there's some kind of, there's definitely a difference between uh, Canadian audience reactions and American audience reactions. I mean, I think the very, the storyline that really uh, created controversy was when Manny uh, had an abortion. That's what the one, the episode that wasn't aired originally in the US. And that, I feel like abortion's always the issue that divides uh, people. I don't don't remember a lot of uh,
4: pushback on our storylines.
3: It's no, and in fact, in
4: Canada, it was like a non-issue. I mean, an abortion, okay, because um, it's just not an issue in Canada. And and indeed, um, the, uh, the the broadcaster originally they'd seen the script in advance and they knew what was happening in the Manny storyline and, and they'd been okay with it, but they got really nervous when the time came to air it. And so they just never aired it. They never said anything. It wasn't until several years later as part of a retrospective that they slid it in and they added a panel afterwards to have a discussion because they were so worried about the episode.
3: And I think what had happened was, um, as Stephen said, we had developed the script along with our broadcaster and they all thought it was important but it was due to go on air and I think the year was um, 2004 and that was right at the time when um, abortion was really coming back into the um, forefront as a, a, a debate and there was a huge women's march in Washington and there were a lot of pro-lifers along the way and so it became when we had developed the story, it, it the um, environment was less hot. And when it came time to go on air, the broadcaster just got very, very nervous about it. And similarly, when we were doing the classic show, when we did the abortion episode with the twins, which was a very well-balanced episode, um, we were, our partner at that time was uh, WGBH Boston. And again, they had nervousness, even though they had worked with us on the script, and we ended up having to uh, recut an ending for them just to tone it down a bit. And I think I think those are the both episodes of abortion are the times where it either didn't air or it got modified to go to air. Um, those are probably being the most controversial.
4: But, but you and talk you, about being balanced. It was really balanced. I mean, uh, talking about the uh, the Emma and Manny storyline, Emma would not have existed mm-hmm. if, uh, if Spike had had an abortion. And so you've got one best friend talking to another best friend. And Manny eventually decided to go through with the abortion. But we were able to carry both sides of the debate in a very balanced way. So we felt mm-hmm. very good about the show.
5: Yeah. And, but and don't forget, also, you know, you. Every time that I feel like Degrassi has sort of uh, breached the conversation, uh, it, you guys, have, the, the stories have grown in a way that are with the times. And if you go a bit into Next Class and uh, the way that we were... First of all, we that's maybe the first time I saw pushback when we were dealing with Netflix, you know? And that was definitely uh, late in the game and not really part of their uh, MO, you know, and and uh, uh, it, it was definitely the next step in storytelling you were going to go into the room for the abortion none of that would have happened without if you without the twins without Manny and we were also showing a decision where she was feeling less guilty than maybe we've shown in the past she's like going to school and we did have to sort of take the american side into into consideration and how how the system works there versus how it works here because like you know like Aaron was saying i think canadians have a different perspective when it comes to this sort of thing and uh we always have to sort of sort of take a second look knowing that there might be pushback. It,
2: it does seem like people in
5: the U.S. definitely
2: have more hang-ups although I do want to mention and and ask you Stefan you were the first person to say fuck on Canadian broadcast television. I was. Wow and, um, and I just wanted to know if you had any reflections on that important moment in Canadian TV history. <sighs>
5: Well, okay, listen, first of all, I didn't know that they were going to air that version. Um, I think we did several versions where it was like, you know, Joey Jeremiah bonked Tessa Campanelli and Joey Jeremiah screwed everything. And then we did an F-bomb version. And I don't think anyone, I mean, maybe Linda, maybe you knew, but I didn't know until I saw it that they put in the F word. And it was like one of these things where I'm pretty sure I just went like this. (laughs)
2: <laughs>
5: and it was i mean it was just a it, it, we it felt like we just entered a new age of television i mean it was it was pretty exciting it, it happened after a certain time on cbc which they allowed i think uh the idea of stronger language so the first hour was before that and then the second hour sort of uh i think they allowed them to open the door anyways i'm very proud of it
4: And it was a very highly rated episode, but the CBC showed it uh, and got great ratings, but they never showed that version again. They've never used the fuck (laughs) word again.
6: (laughs) As a a teenager at the time, because I think I'm a year older than you, Stefan, it was very, very impactful. Everybody talked about it afterwards. Like, can you believe they said that on Degrassi? And little did I know that I would be, you know, part of it a few years later.
5: Yeah. And, you know, let alone that, when you talk about schools out that's what we're talking about is it, it is one of the um i'm sorry linda it's one of the most depressing uh endings no! show ever. It, you know it really it really <laughs> sent us out into a world where we're like i don't know if you guys are all friends anymore and um you know someone's in jail that person might be blind um and uh, but let's just say we, if that is definitely a part of degrassi is like going out on an episode with uh, uh a lot of the issue still uh, to be discovered and, uh, and uh, characters change because of that, you know? And that's, that is a very Degrassi thing, I think.
2: Well, I'm glad we got to talk about that because obviously that was an important moment, uh, not a TNG moment, but still one that we remember fondly. Um, I do want to bring out some more of the actors to kind of get our, our panel continuing. So um, we have several cast members joining us today and I'm going to bring out the first group. Uh, first up, he played Gavin Spinner Mason. Please welcome Shane Kipple.
7: Woo! Yeah, I'm here.
2: Hello, everyone. <laughs> I was excited for this. Uh, next up, you know where's Paige Chuck? Say hello to Lauren Collins.
8: Woo! Hi, everyone. Those were such nice introductions before. It's very, very happy to be here.
2: <laughs> uh, next up, we have uh, Daniel Clark, who played Sean Cameron.
9: Hey, everybody. I'm super excited to be here as well. It's so awesome to see all of your faces. I, I, I can't believe it.
2: <laughs> um, we have a Season 2 edition, but an OG in our hearts. He played Craig Manning. Say hello to Jake Epstein.
10: Hey! What's going on? <laughs> Thrilled to be here. And you have a very classic background. It is. I f- yeah, <laughs> it's a very... Maya, uh, I just moved and it's just an explosion of items and everything, so you put down a sheet, it's very calm. It looks very tape. <laughs> yeah, and I'm auditioning right now as well. <laughs> for this panel. For the next,
2: ne- <laughs> for this panel. We'll see if I make it. Okay. <laughs> next up, she played Hazel Aden. Please welcome Andrea Lewis.
11: Guys, I'm very excited to be here.
2: And finally, you remember her as Terry McGregor, we have Christina Schmidt.
11: Hello
12: everyone, this is so, so, so exciting. It is so nice to see everybody.
2: It's, it's really amazing to see you all. It's super surreal for a Degrassi fan. Um, from the cast, like how many of you haven't seen each other since you were filming? Have any of you not seen each other for a very long time?
9: Yeah, uh, I, oh, go ahead, Jane. No, 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 you go ahead, you just go first. Yeah, I I think I've seen Lauren the most. And there are a lot of faces here that I haven't seen in a very long time. Um, And I just, I can't believe it. I'm kind of geeking out right now. It's like a blast from the past, but I mean, you all look so fantastic. I I can't believe it. Everyone looks very, I didn't want to only single out Jake's
2: background. It was just, you know, I noticed the very classic blue background, but you're all looking great and you all have very well-composed backgrounds. So I didn't want anyone to feel left out. (laughs)
10: <laughs> but mine is maybe the most composed of everyone <laughs> well, i mean I'm,
2: I'm, I'm sitting in my
7: uh my girlfriend who's a ballet teacher i'm sitting in her little studio so enjoy the tutu on the wall over oh, here. oh
10: that's what that is cool That's also what i do by
7: night so
8: Lewis, I want to know, is your background from when you came to visit set, or is that just...
2: No, this is just a, this is a photo... A little generic. Like I found online. But <laughs> I, do have a, I do have a photo of us at the Degrassi set. I did, I don't want to talk about me, you're not here for me, but I did go to the Degrassi set for my uh, 30th birthday, Lauren took me, and it was <laughs> a pivotal experience for me. Um, I, I want to ask you all, how many of you remember your auditions... I know it's been a while, totally okay if you don't, but I would love to hear if you have any audition memories.
11: I don't know
8: if I remember the actual audition or if it's just one of those things that like I've seen it so many times now because they are circulating on YouTube that like, you know, is it the memory or is it just the video? But I do have memories of the screen test. You guys remember that?
12: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah.
8: (laughs) We were like mixing and matching and it's where that's definitely the first time I met Aubrey, which I'll never forget that. Um, so I do have memories of that and like auditioning for different roles. I auditioned Ashley and Paige, I think. And yeah, that I remember.
2: I, uh, <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to know how many of you had auditioned for different characters and you ended up playing and if you were tested for different roles. They, they knew the second I walked in the door that this is only guy <laughs> auditioning
7: for Spinner. No, I, I only auditioned for Spinner. I had my my initial monologue, uh, which is where I met uh, Linda for the first time and uh, Stacey Nassi, who played Yik Yu on the original series. Um, but I was so blindingly nervous at that point that it was only later when the dust settled and, and I knew I had a job that... I was able to understand who I actually met that first day. Um, and then my screen test as well. I remember meeting uh, select cast. Some who didn't get the roles, some who did. Um, but yeah, as as for auditioning for... I, I wish I would have auditioned for Craig. That, that would have been a fun <laughs> I
10: fun. wish we did too. <laughs>
7: <laughs> I
8: know Adamo auditioned for Craig. Uh,
10: yes.
7: yes. yes.
8: Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I feel like Marco was maybe just created after meeting him, I, you know, maybe uh, Aaron could see. You're so,
3: about. you're absolutely right, Lauren. Um, it's really interesting because some of the characters we went out and we we knew exactly who we were looking for and we tried to find them as like Shane talks about with, with his character. We knew, we knew, we'd found you, it was just different. <laughs> <laughs> some of you, you know, we thought, well, they could go that way, it could go that way. And with Adamo, we really liked him, but we didn't have an existing character written. And in fact, if I'm, memory serves me correct, Aaron, I think we just brought him in as a break dancer for one episode. It could be because oh. I remember we were we we had him play that role. In the meantime, we had also um, written the character of Marco. I think maybe Aaron, that was you were the first one to write Marco, I don't remember. And we were auditioning for Marco and we hadn't even considered Adamo for it. And then we watched Adamo in the Rushes from, I think it was some kind of Halloween special or something, I don't remember. And we thought, oh my gosh, he could be our Marco. And that turned out to be one of the most, like all of you were brilliant casting, but Adamo and Marco were just so perfectly um, aligned. And, um, but it took it, we didn't see what was right in front of us right away. Yeah, but he did well, and, and, and we
4: did not know that Adamo was gay, and I don't think Adamo knew he was gay at the time that we that we cast him as Marco. No.
2: Yeah, I, I hope that Adamo is the person we talk about most who's not
11: here. I just want to keep talking
9: about Adamo. <laughs> yeah. so
2: you would you would assume Aubrey, and I feel like we don't you know we don't have to go down that route. We can talk about Adamo um, while he's on here. Um, but I do I do want to hear from from all of you. Um, I really want to know which of you did the mall tours. And if any of you remember the mall tours, I think we well, really all forget. <laughs>
10: yeah. We did. I have a memory of uh, of Aubrey and I going to Madison Square Gardens to do. It was a rare one because it wasn't a mall tour. It was in Madison that's Square so Gardens, go, which was crazy. Yeah. yeah, I was there. I was I there, like,
6: Jake, for that one. I was that's amazing. right. And
10: and because of my memory is that because of the number of people that surprisingly showed up for autographs and hugs and stuff. They split Aubrey and I up on opposite sides of the room and they told people, you have a choice. You can either go and get like, you know, Jake Epstein, Craig's autograph or Aubrey, Graham, Jimmy's autograph. And I always like, it makes me laugh so hard because I always think about like all the people that maybe are like, wow, I could have like hugged young Drake and wanted some Craig. It was,
5: uh. It was uh, maybe some of them went, went, you know, I got to hug young uh, Broadway Spider Man. That's know? Right. Yes, and, crazy. Uh, You know, or, or maybe, right.
7: you know, Umbrella Academy? Well, I mean,
5: that's right.
2: <laughs> Come on. Um, Andrea, you, you were also a maltour uh, veteran. What do yeah. you remember for, from that experience?
11: Well, my first one was with Lauren. And I remember we had no, like, we just didn't know what to expect. I don't know if you remember this, Lauren, but we held hands going out.
8: Yeah, it was terrifying it was terrifying
11: <laughs> and like both of us are actually very tiny and, and <laughs> so i just remember feeling like very small like just because it was really loud you didn't know what to expect and it was one of those experiences where it was like you got just as much love but also i remember people coming back up and being like my brother wants to also give you his phone number and his email and like can you Add him on AOL Messenger and you're like, uh no, I actually cannot. <laughs> um, but it was exciting. Like if, I don't think I realized the impact of the show until the mall tours, truthfully. Oh, this and was like, this was
8: not what we were experiencing movie. at home. No. So, no.
11: Right. Yeah, like, no. So yeah, going to um, to see that and experience it. And then I I even remember going to San Francisco with the Domo. Um even when we went to Vancouver Lauren we went to Vancouver together right Oh that was
8: that that was like, so fun
11: That was like but ha- like more than half of our um fans there were from Seattle like mm-hmm. so it was you kept having this um very strange experience of realizing like oh my god it's like a cult following in the US and in Toronto people are like oh whatever I saw her at Yorkdale no big deal like they
2: just- <laughs> <laughs> I was, so what, I, uh, what I'm getting is that fans in the US just have less chill than fans in Canada.
10: Well, there, there's also the cast is so large. So I feel like everyone of a certain age, everyone's former roommate was on Degrassi. Yeah. <laughs> everyone's like, oh yeah, my cousin's on Degrassi. Like everyone yeah. had some, like, such a, a show that's ingrained in the city. So, I think that adds to maybe part of why people don't care as much here.
7: But I remember, like, when you, I, I was on a few of them. I, I can't even remember uh, which one was which, but I was in Atlanta. I was in Denver. I was in, uh, I was in York with uh, with a few of you. Jake, I know Jake oh, and Andy were right there. We that's right yeah yeah and uh it was just that that energy as soon as you walked out into the the signing area the atrium and you saw that line and a couple of them spotted you and you oh. just it was infectious there were a couple cheers and then the entire thing would uh, erupt and you would hear so many stories oh we were waiting in line for eight hours we drove for 12 hours to get here and it was just, what is going on because you, you really like no one it's not that no one cared in toronto but no no one was starstruck really when they saw us but as soon as we uh we crossed that border it was it was unbelievable
10: well and I feel like the way we made the show too was so it was like all of our second high school so it was there was a very relaxed vibe to it it almost it felt like a hobby it felt like an after-school amazing program we were all in It didn't totally feel like we were on a TV show. It was very much
8: a bubble. Like we existed in this little bubble and then that's why the Malchairs were just- And then when we went to the
5: US,
10: yeah, it was, it sort of opened our eyes to the fact that there were were a lot of people watching the show and and loving the show.
5: I was gonna say that this goes back to Degrassi Junior High even. It felt like a summer job. We had really good friends, but it felt like high school friends. This is something about Degrassi and I think something about an ensemble cast where it really is everyone sharing a responsibility and story and a character that makes everyone sort of feel a little bit even, and also just makes you feel like you're at summer camp.
4: Yeah. Plus you guys
6: didn't have to work like, you know, 13 hour days, five days a week. You guys, you guys, sometimes you guys would have weeks off where, where I wouldn't see you or you'd come back and you'd be like a foot taller and be like, uh-oh, we wrote that story. That's not gonna work anymore. <laughs>
2: I did have a couple um, Twitter questions that I wanted. You still have a lot of very, you know, diehard Degrassi fans. Um, Helena on Twitter wants to to know, Daniel, people are very concerned that Sean died in combat. Can you dispel those
9: rumors? I I doubt it. I I don't think he did. He's (laughs) totally home safe. You know, Um, I hope not. I mean, does anyone really think that? Like
4: that's (laughs) apparently this this is a concern that people have. I dream that there is a Degrassi reboot and I'm, you know, there should be a Degrassi reboot and that Sean, you do come back. And I know Emma has married you Shane, <laughs> but I just don't know that that was one storyline that I just never quite got. I mean, you're a great couple, but I, I can imagine Daniel coming in on a motorcycle and Emma, the just look got, in got Emma sold out up.
5: Shane. Yeah. Well, I mean, just got it sold out
4: every time i
7: I get to interact with a fan about that that question has come up more than anything else which is like how do you feel about spinner Emma? and I've, I've had to you know I I've uh, become accustomed to it over the years but I, I still think that there was there was some uh, there wasn't full closure with the Jane story so there could be a nice little crossover there if you bring um, all four of us back and then we we st- swap spouses was that a
8: Degrassi (laughs) takes Manhattan
7: uh yes
5: yeah yeah
8: yeah. Degrassi takes Manhattan or Degrassi goes Hollywood it's not canon that's what I (laughs) said says you you.
5: says you those (laughs) stories are full-on Degrassi they are moments in lives that go crazy I'm not saying that because I directed them I'm just saying (laughs) that people have moments like that right and, and, crazy
6: and, emma and, bad and we'll, we'll pull back from this
2: sorry sorry yeah there were a lot of questions about spinner emma there was also a question shane about if you know what happened to kendra
7: no <laughs> um i i don't know um we we're more like pen pals now we're still old school just swapping uh you know written letters um but uh my my mom never told me she just didn't come home from school one day, but
2: she's sick. I do want to bring out, we have. We do have uh, a few more panelists that I'm going to bring out. Um, a few more of the later additions to Degrassi. Um, so these are our final panelists. Uh, first up, she played Claire Edwards. Please welcome Aislinn Paul.
13: Woo-hoo! Hi guys, thanks for having me.
2: Um, next up, you know him as Drew Torres. Say hello to Luke Billick.
14: Hey, everyone.
2: Uh, and finally, last but not least, uh, he was often by Aizen's side as Eli Goldsworthy. Please welcome Monroe Chambers. Hi, everyone. Probably has the, the most quarantine hair of of the group. <laughs> not in a, in, a, in a totally complimentary way. It's very impressive.
15: <laughs> Thank you. I blame my father. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, so I wanted to ask for the, you know, the later cast members coming onto the show as sort of the the next generation of the next generation. Um, what was that like in terms of like, you know, fan reception and, and joining the show? What was that experience like for you?
13: Well, it was very interesting because I came on, I was very young. I was still in middle school when I joined the show. So I was kind of just a little bit too young to have really watched it and and know how, much of an impact the show had to me it was like you know a tv show that was being made in Canada and like aired in the U.S. and my parents had been on a couple episodes and so it was just like this fun new job that I had but for me like the biggest impact was more coming in and having a cast of kids like young people that I was meeting because in the past on other projects it's mostly just adults and then me and my dad like being my guardian so to come in and sort of have a peer group who's all doing this thing. That was the first kind of revolutionary experience I had with the show and then the impact afterwards of seeing how it's received when it airs and and having the kind of connection with people online when Twitter came about and like people are following me and talking about, to me about the show. That was such a, a new change and such a an interesting thing to have this very very direct contact with the people who were watching the content that we were making. It was very new, but very very cool and and but also a little bit scary. I think there was part of it that felt like there's a direct impact from what we're making on set on young people, and like there's a lot of responsibility there too to make sure that the content reflects them and that they feel appreciated as an audience. And that was something entirely new for me.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was wanted to ask about sort of the the online response. I got several questions. There are still a lot of eclair. Uh, Stan accounts that have a lot of questions for, for you and for Monroe. Um, so, I mean, I guess you, when you were on the show, there was definitely more, you know, fan interaction that's continued. Um, you talked a little bit about how that's positive and negative. Um, but in terms of, uh, because I do want to like do something for those those Eclair fans, um, Do do either of you remember a specific episode or moment or scene that you had a great time filming or
15: that you felt like really resonated with those fans I think the, the bench scene was one I remember resonating right off the bat I think that was when we we knew that there was real texture between the chemistry and we had worked together previously we played siblings in a in a in a film a couple years back um, but I think that was one of the first scenes and there's also a scene um in class and I was kind of, Eli's trying to get Claire out of her shell a little bit and trying to show her courage and, and show her personality and what, and what her passions were. And so I think those initial scenes, I, I just remember hearing a lot about those, like that there, that's personally what I thought.
13: Yeah, I think while, while shooting it, it was apparent to me that there was like a lot of dynamics and a lot of sparks and I was enjoying the work that we were doing together. But I wasn't really thinking quite yet about how it was going to be received. It was still more of like a, what is this? What are we making together? And like, what's the relationship and the dynamic here and how the characters are working together. So then when it was received so positively by an audience, that was almost shocking. Cause it was like, whoa, I just, you know this is just another part of the same show to like have such response just for this couple was really exciting. And it also was very validating. Cause I think, we felt very good about the work that we were doing together too and like putting a lot of heart into it.
2: On a purely shallow note, wanna ask about um, style journeys because I feel like everyone on the cast had some um, really exciting style journeys. I wanted to know if you have a favorite, if you have a least favorite, is there a look that you wish you could erase? Um, Uh, Anyone can comment on (laughs) this. He got you hairstyles. Same. Uh, yeah, so oh, it was known,
7: I, I guess, um, unofficially later on or throughout the show, is uh, going through every possible male hairdo or unisex hairdo uh, that someone. You
10: could were ask. searching. You were searching. You <laughs> we were searching everywhere. everywhere right? well, who you were?
7: We landed. We landed on the faux hawk uh, near the end, which was which was fine. Uh, but the uh, the flock of seagulls hair flip is something <laughs> I, I don't think I'll ever fully lived down and I remember the cast was was trying to be so supportive uh when I first they uh I still remember that the uh hair and makeup door was locked so no one could see the process as it was going on and then when I emerged and uh Melissa McIntyre was actually the first one who saw me and it was just like I like it, I like it, <laughs> and everyone there, you could see that there were like four or five things that people wanted to say before they said the generic, you make it work, you make... No, no one made that work.
2: Um, I, I, uh, I definitely have more style questions, but I do also have some substance ones and I, I wanted to ask about some of those more intense storylines and playing those also when you were quite young. Um, Christina, I was wondering. I mean, you were in a storyline that was very heavy. Um, you know, what was that experience like when you're, you know, an adolescent yourself and you're you're playing this really fraught uh, relationship?
12: Oh, it was at that age, especially. I wasn't even aware of relationships actually being like that. And at the time, I'd done a little bit of research into um, relationship abuse and domestic abuse. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it's a real thing. And that was intense. That was very, very, very intense, especially channeling that actually happens to people. And till this day, I'll still get messages, um, saying how impactful, um, being Terry and, and helping them through the same situation in that real life. So it was absolutely wild and very intense,
2: yeah, or, or any for any of the rest of you, were there any storylines that you felt like you really had to put in extra research? Obviously, the writers were doing a lot of that, but but in terms of like you know making sure you got it right, um, was there anything that kind of uh, you did extra work on?
10: I mean, I I don't know. I feel, I feel like everything. Like I, you know, uh, I guess for for, um, for my character, the the bipolar uh, storyline was something. I know I had a meeting with Linda. And you sort of taught me about what that was. And uh, and it was, I mean, it was really through conversations with you. And I, I did some research. I had a, a family member who'd experienced something. And um, I remember, right, I mean, as a, as a, sorry.
3: I was going to say, I think we brought in an expert too. I think we brought in somebody um, a doctor or somebody in mental illness that you were able to talk to and, and ask questions about. Um, you're right. And there was a
10: lot of the the writers. I remember there was just a lot of support and uh, a lot of people to talk to. And, uh, and as a young actor, it was very, uh, exciting. It was, it was felt like the first time to really, uh, do something uh, other than myself. And, uh, and it really felt like we were portraying something that other people were going through that could be helpful um help people feel like they're not alone and and it was really special to shoot that
15: to jump on what uh, jake was talking about something for me that entered my personal life that i had no reference for i had no information was adam's storyline and um to be a part of that with Aslan and to really Dive deep in that research and understand something that was completely foreign to me. And now to have a family member who is transgender, um, it really educated mm-hmm. me. And I really hope that you know, from my personal experience of learning from, you know, to get into the character and just acceptance and and really understanding that. I hope the audience really understood that as well. So for me, it was it was huge for what I didn't realize was going to happen later on in my life. Um, but I'm so glad to be part of that. And I think that's one of the great things about all of us being part of the show is that we're learning different things at such a young age and I think it should be like that. You're learning about things that aren't being talked about, and especially at that time, a lot. I had no idea. And then when we got to meet Chaz Bono and we got to sit into uh, that support group um, in Los Angeles, I believe it was, um, mm-hmm. that was absolutely massive. And uh, so to be a part of that and to be a part of uh, Jordy's incredible storyline and her amazing work portraying um, that community. It was, it was really, really special.
13: Yeah, I think I was always deeply, deeply impressed by what Jordan brought to the table because she was also very young when she was cast and she walked in, did the work, did the research, brought so much sensitivity and thoughtfulness to the part and in ways that some other people might just go for what's very stereotypically male. I think she was so conscious of making Adam a fully rounded guy and have like, more sensitive moments, have funny moments, have, like, be a full person, because that's the best way to honor Adam as a character. And I think she did such a wonderful job. It was such an honor to be able to witness her work. And I felt so protective over that character and, and really grateful that I got to be part of those storylines.
2: Luke, I, I, obviously, you were a big part of that as well. If you have any sort of thoughts about um, that storyline or your experiences on the show with that.
14: Yeah, 100%. I think kind of to tag on with what Aizen was saying is that, when you were working with Jordan and you were doing these scenes, it wasn't like it was a character being portrayed. Jordan was living this and being on set, it was kind of infectious and we all kind of just all dove right in with her. And yeah, no, it was, it was a pleasure to be on set. I look back at those, those scenes that we had together and kind of like what Monroe was saying, it sets you up for knowledge to go forward into the future. And I think that's one thing that Degrassi did so well, um, especially for like, younger people like we were all so young it, it, it taught us things that we didn't have the opportunity to but uh yeah no there was there was so there's so many different experiences with this show and obviously with these great group of people i only had the chance to work with the two of you i met the majority of you um but i uh, know it was definitely definitely a beautiful experience um, loved every second i can't stop smiling looking at all looking at all your faces so
7: we worked together once
14: Well, we had one, one, one,
7: and and Monroe. Yeah. One, one fantastic scene that I got to spend with, uh, with both of you, but yeah, yeah.
15: Last of generations. Yes.
2: (laughs) A lot of people want to know sort of if there would be a, a, you know, a future reboot or a a next Degrassi. If you imagine, you know, what your characters would be doing now. um, I'm sure you get that all the time, but, you know, have you given any thought to sort of where they might be? Drew's the wow. principal
14: now. Of course, there's only one way to go up. I'm got. I'm taking Good. over. He's <laughs> <laughs> the principal. That's it.
3: <laughs> bye
10: bye.
5: out.
3: Bye.
5: Snake <laughs> is the superintendent of all the schools. <laughs> in- oh, he's totally the janitor now. I think. No,
7: <laughs> oh, I think I think that's fair. He's the custodian.
5: <laughs> oh yeah, that's
9: true. I think uh, what Steven said about the love triangle between. Um, you know Sean and Emma and Spinner would be kind of crazy you know I I think that like audiences saw so much and because it was an ensemble cast they every single person found something in one of us to relate to you know and I think that like if there was ever like a, a reboot or a reunion or something it should be like catching up with like long lost high school friends you know like everyone wants to know well what happened you know you just said, did I die in Afghanistan? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was a question. You know, we had to we had to address it. You
2: and yeah. Kendra. Sean and Kendra are hanging out.
5: <laughs> yeah. oh, <there> she is.
9: <laughs> or with Terry, you know, like, I want to know. I want to know, like, what's going on with Paige. I want to know what's going on with with everyone. You know, I think um, we all had compelling stories. And I think that, you know, uh, it could happen. I don't know. I consider it. What do you guys think? Like,
12: I would love to come back and just have one scene with Ali, that ice cream boy scene. Mm. And Mm. because Terry, I followed Terry's footsteps and literally since Degrassi, I've been modeling like full time since. And I just want to come back and for everybody who has gone through that to know that what ice cream boy said followed through. (laughs) That's
8: a very iconic... Someone sent me a GIF of that the other day. That's a very... Oh, yeah, right?
12: Yeah. It was a big moment.
2: We used to quote that, like, all the time. Ice cream, I mean, that was, like, huge for my my high school experience, so I'm very glad that that is uh, being addressed. What's
14: the quote for those of us who were post that time?
12: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Terry was... She just started modeling um, as a plus-size model, and there was... uh, a kid who was working at an ice cream stand and he started to make fun of me and I turned around and I said, I made 500 bucks today as a plus size model. What do you make? Ice cream boy. (laughs) (laughs) And it was so iconic. And I've had like gifts sent to me about that. Like all the cool Degrassi edits that the fans do. And it was, it was probably Terry's most recognizable scene that has been brought up to me since so I want to come back and, and tell him listen ice cream boy I'm still doing it <laughs> um
2: are there any other like scenes or quotes I mean Lauren obviously I know the quote that you get the most happens <laughs> at the January 1st um yeah. if you I mean are there are there any other quotes or or scenes when in doubt quotes? when in doubt you kiss Craig uh <laughs> <laughs> let's
11: I'm get not back mean. to Jamo <laughs> here <Yeah. laughs>
2: Um, the, we, we did get some questions about um, Marco kissing Craig and they weren't all written by me. Um, some of them were <laughs> genuinely people on Twitter um, who want to know if bisexual Craig was ever a real possibility on the show. Uh, writer?
10: Uh, right. <laughs> I, I
6: didn't think bisexual uh, Page was a reality. So I, I, I'm even less <laughs> yeah. there being bisexual Craig. No, I, I never, I think that was just, Craig was such a good friend to Marco that he was there. He wouldn't care what Marco did. I don't think he was attracted to Marco, but I think he was there to support him. I mean, Marco, I was I was basically Marco and Emma in high school. So those two characters um, were channeled into that. And I would have loved to have had a friend like Craig.
10: (laughs) What I think, I mean, you know, at the time when we were when we were shooting those episodes and and the, the story of someone coming out and finding themselves was um, it was it was a- ahead of its time. There wasn't a lot of that on television. And what I loved is is feeling like Marco could have a, f- a friend who was it didn't matter that, you know, C- Craig was straight, whatever. Like, but he was Mar- Marco's best friend. Like, I just thought it was a it was just I, I felt like um, I don't know the word I'm looking for. I felt like an ally. I felt like it was such a positive uh, friendship. Especially at that time on television, um, that the 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 gay character wasn't isolated, Um, and uh, yeah, I was I was really uh, those are some of my favorite scenes actually with Craig and Adama. I mean with uh, Craig and Marco. Wow. Yeah.
13: I mean. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Just hopping on uh, what Jake said. Just, there's some of my favorite storylines and favorite scenes ended up being like, I mean, I loved working with all my love interests. But some of my favorite scenes were friendship storylines or moments where friends were there for each other. Because as a teenager, that's what really felt super, super honest for me is like, yeah, you have crushes and you go on dates and like, relationships are important to your teenage years. But so much of how you learn about yourself is through your friendships and through people in your life. And I had so many moments where I was like, this feels really special, this scene where I get to be there for my friend and, and I get to support them through what they're going through. And, and I, I was really grateful for those moments, too. And I think that's another part of what makes Degrassi so special is that it, you know, we have so much interconnectivity between all those characters. And that's really essential for so many of the storylines and the way that we get to, like, have our moments in the sun. And then we also get to be a supporting character for someone else.
6: And that all goes back to the the world that Linda created. I mean, this is this is the template that Linda started, you know, forty years ago, and let us come in and run with. So the, the this this balance between soap and issues and learning and fun, that's entirely because of Linda. Mm. And one of th- the
3: things. Um, I, I've been sort of hearing as I'm hearing all of you speak, and it, I just have to say what a joy it is to be reminded of some of those scenes that we've all done together over the years. But um, just hearing you talk about how it was a learning experience for you as actors, it's been something that has been really dear to my heart right back from 40 years ago, has always been to cast age appropriate. And um, that is not you know, necessarily the smartest thing for a producer to do, because you'll see in a lot of American shows, you'll see a 25 year old will be paying a 15 year old. And there's a lot of good reason for that. Because a 25 year old is considered an adult and through the union, they can work longer hours, they don't we don't have to tutor them and all of that. But what I found is, if you had a 15 year old playing a 15 year old, they bring 15 years of experience to the screen. If you take a 25 year old playing a 15 year old, they bring 25 years worth of experience to the scene and knowledge and understanding that some of you said you were grappling with to figure out about your character. Well, the fact that as an as an actor, you too were trying to figure out where, where you stood on these issues and where you stood it gave you such authenticity and such vulnerability that um, it's something that I, I think, I remember one time Team Nick saying to me, you know, this show could never have been produced in the States because we never would have done it with age appropriate casting. And uh, so it's, it's, one, it's one of the, there's a lot of key tenants to, to Degrassi, but that's one of the ones that I think has really served us all well over the years.
2: That was my next question actually. So you basically it was about age appropriate casting. Um, I guess, but for, for the actors, you know, to to have been so young and, and doing the show, um, is it something that you ever look back on now? You can revisit your younger years or would you rather kind of not necessarily see yourselves at, at 14 and 15 uh, playing these characters?
14: Personally, because it was such a formative years to go from being 15 to 20, I actually can't look at any of those years. The only way I quantify it is through the seasons that we were on. I'm like, okay, 2011, that's season 11. What was I doing in my life at that point in time? Um, but it was just, I don't know, growing up with people your own age, it was so much more than being on set together. It was the parties, the hangouts. we I would see Monroe. I was at his house every single day for uh, four years. So its it's so much more than just the relationships you build on set and having people that are in similar ages to you takes a little bit of that disconnect out so it it it, it was beautiful.
4: One of the difficult things about uh, casting age appropriate is of course after five years uh, you've got um, characters who are you know in their final year and I'm sure you all remember some, your final scenes on, on Degrassi. And I used to be in tears because, uh, you know, this would be, you know, goodbye to Degrassi, goodbye to all your friends and going off. And, and then a, a new generation of youngsters would be coming in underneath you and growing with the show. Or you could be Stefan
2: and and you get to play the same character for a very long time, which is you know, an incredible honor.
5: Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, it for listen, I'll tell you right now, there's episodes every once in a while that are of Degrassi Junior High that are on, like, and I, I remember the storylines, I don't recognize myself, and that's scary, but it is, <laughs> uh, you know, and, but, but I do recognize a, a 14-year-old kid going through a storyline that feels super legit, totally embarrassing, zits and all. And that, like we said, is the, the template, a major, a major part of the show is, is watching those kids go through something that is so awkward. Um, and, and now it's, you know, there's, there's a record of it, which is um, a blessing and a curse.
2: <laughs> Do you feel like there are any teen shows in recent years that have sort of captured teen life in the same way that Degrassi has? I mean, obviously, You have the age appropriate casting. You have some very intense storylines, but also it's sort of grounded in real uh, relationships. Do you have any teen shows that you watch
15: or that you have seen that you feel like capture that? Sex education to me. I think it's one of the best things on TV. Um, I think there's so many um, organic, authentic nuance that Degrassi brought to the table that they're bringing. And I think it's so raw and it's it's unapologetically real. And they really talk about real issues that high schoolers go through. I'm such such a
12: a good show,
8: such a good show.
15: Yeah, I'm such a fan of it.
8: And I don't think shows like that, or like Euphoria or Generation, I don't think those would exist without Degrassi. I think Degrassi really laid the groundwork for them.
2: Yeah, I mean, even even shows like Riverdale very tonally different, very, um, you know, a different kind of over-the-top, I would say, you know, still have roots in in what you all did and sort of, you know, making such a formative teen show. I, I want to look back at the storylines. Was there any storyline that you think you would have done differently now? And this could be for, you know, writers, producers, or, or actors playing it. Is there anything that sort of, you know, if you were doing this in 2021, you might do it a little bit differently? I mean, I...
10: I'll just say, you know, uh, looking back at some of the episodes, part of the reason why I, I sometimes find it hard to watch it is that my character, there was, there was a lot of toxicity. Um, you know, the, the way that Craig treats women. Um, I, I don't know if, how that sort of aged. Um, uh, you know, uh, it's funny because when, when we were shooting it, Linda, we talked a lot about this. I sometimes had trouble uh, with some of those storylines with the cheating storyline. Um, But I I wonder now, you know, if we were going to redo those storylines today, what the what the how the lens would change a little bit, how the story would change a little bit. Maybe some of the consequences for Craig might be a bit higher today than they were back then.
3: Well, I think you raise a really good point because um, I often get asked about, you know, what stays the same, what's different as Degrassi goes on. And I think that there is like a a core messaging about you are not alone. And, um, you know, it's an anti-bullying message. There's a lot of core concepts that are there, but I think what's kept Degrassi's longevity is that we've always been mindful of the times and, um, and the changing times. And you heard us talking about the abortion episodes earlier well, you know, the first one that we did, there were protesters there. She had to walk through protesters. The next one, um, there wasn't there wasn't that degree of protest. And by the time we got to our third abortion episode, she has the abortion in the middle of the episode, and then she deals with the fallout and being shamed, and then owning it. These storylines, and and so many of the others that you've talked about. They were from a particular moment in time. And even though, like, the emotions and the emotional fallout might be similar, you're quite right. Like, the consequences, or even you, know, you just have to go back to Degrassi Classic before we had, um, before we had like the internet. And I mean, the way that Yick and Arthur got information about a wet dream was to go to a pay telephone, holding a boom box, where they spoke to Dr. Sally, who was uh, Sue Johansson. And she said to them, Oh, they said, what do you do when you wake up and you you've kind of leaked overnight. And she says, Oh, you had a wet dream. Well that scene with a pay telephone and a boombox and all of that would never have happened obviously in next generation but the whole notion about being respectful towards young people and how are they dealing with their bodies changing and is kind of constant throughout so a long-winded way of saying um, I think you're right Jake <laughs>
5: But, you know, there's a sensitivity to the times as well that I think Degrassi does well. I mean, if you look back to Manny flashing her boobs and it ending up on the Internet, you know, uh, Peter, I think it was Peter that put them on the Internet and how she was chastised for it. And she was put into this this uh, uh, she was, you know, called terrible, ter- terrible names. And she, she she was dealing with the fact like of the slut shaming, you know, and then you cut to like 10 years later and we're dealing with um dick pics <laughs> and uh, how a high school kid deals with selfies of nudity and how we had to look at how a generation growing up with social media has now, we have to treat it with a sensitivity that's not the, that didn't exist when Manny um, did, uh, got in trouble. Now we're dealing with a whole generation that probably have done this. You know, they probably sent uh, some sort of Snapchat pic. Uh, while in high school. And I just remember that when we, by the time we got there we looked back and we're like how, how times have changed but how we, the, the, the sensitivity to it was still the same. Even though a kid, uh, the, 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 you couldn't tell that story. 10 years later, you still couldn't tell the same story. And that's I think something that shows like how well Degrassi changes with the times yet, yet keeps true to its center.
2: Amazing. Well, we 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 don't have much time left. I, I wish I could you know talk to you all for a lot longer. I'm sorry that Heather Sinclair couldn't be here. Um, we uh, you know there were a ton of fan questions I couldn't get to. Um, but just to kind of wrap things up, if anyone wanted to jump in with um, a moment from the show, either an episode or a scene or something about their character um, or something about the writing that they're particularly proud of, um, all these years later.
7: Um, I, for one, the longer it's been since uh, Degrassi wrapped, or our generation of Degrassi wrapped, and it, it gives you that much more perspective on what we were actually a part of, like how, how important and how special our, our childhoods were, and the bubble that we existed in at that point, um, that it still, it means... So much to people. Uh, I, I mean, I'm very active on on Cameo, uh, the the app where you, you can get personalized messages for uh, or fans can send messages to people. And I, there, it, like, there's an intergenerational thing going on now where I would get you know children of fans buying buying gifts for their their mom or their dad, and Spinner was their favorite character, and they got me into the show. And I think this would mean so much, or vice versa. You have Parents buying it for their like fifteen year olds, twelve year olds who are like, yeah, they I, I got her into DeGrassi and now she's a big fan and Spinners her her favorite character. So it's it's just looking back on it like when you're when you're immersed in it, you know you know what you're a part of. But it's not until later that you really appreciate the, the I don't know just what what it meant to uh, the culture of DeGrassi, and I was just so proud to going to work every day and to know all of you and uh, like the careers that you're a part of now, if you've left acting uh, and moved on to other things, it's, it's just been such a pleasure to to have all of you uh, as part of my life and hopefully you feel the same about me. You know, um, Yeah, it's just a little personal message to all of you. Yeah,
13: jumping on what Shane said, I think there, one of the biggest takeaways and the thing that still impacts me today is just how much of an impact the show had on our young audience. I think as an actor, you do lots of other jobs, but I think having an adolescent audience and having that younger audience who truly connects with characters and and sees themselves in the show is so special, but it's also kind of a Spider-Man thing of like with great power comes great responsibility. It's a huge responsibility on our shoulders making this show and making it honest but also not dangerous. I mean I I was very vocal when 13 Reasons Why came out because I felt like they did not carry that responsibility the way Degrassi did and that's something that I've always been really proud of is the way that the show took its time and was very thoughtful with our stories. Some people might say oh but you know everyone faces consequences and it's kind of but I think that's really good. I think it's good to be teaching a lesson while also telling a story and being sensitive to these characters because we're taking care of an audience who is also growing up and, and learning lessons and, and figuring out right from wrong. And that's always been something I've been really proud of and really grateful for. And also the way that the show has grown over the years. We haven't stuck in one age and one time of talking about an issue. We are continuing to grow and, and, and talk about those issues in a new way as new seasons come along.
12: I've
8: been reflecting on the show now as a parent myself because I have a child now and yes he's only one and a half but I just going off what Aislin said I I hope that god I hope the show does get another reboot for him to watch because it's something that I feel comfortable with him seeing that's I I want him to have that there's (laughs) uh, a, a lot of what we're seeing now is so I don't know, aggressive. Uh, So many teen shows now feel just so aggressive and Degrassi didn't didn't feel that. So I I hope he has something like that to watch. I I, I feel okay knowing that he'll go back and he might be mortified of his mother one day going back and watching it, but I I feel okay with him (laughs) watching the show. I think he will actually learn something from the show. So, you know, it's a different, it's a lens I never thought about (laughs) looking at the show through, but now I am and and I feel good about it.
2: Well, that's a really beautiful way to wrap this up. I really want to thank you all for coming together, making my Degrassi dreams come true, making a lot of fans dreams come true and um, talking about, you know, a show that was so important to so many of us. Um, So thank you all. And I can't wait to see uh, what you all do next and also the next uh, iteration of Degrassi, whatever that might be.
3: Who knows? Thank you, ATX.
11: (laughs)
0: Thank you for listening to ATX-TV's original series, The TV Campfire. To watch these panels and more, please visit youtube.com backslash For details on the festival, go to atxfestival.com. And information on our membership program can be found at atxfestival.com backslash membership. Follow us at ATX Festival on all social media. As always, please rate and review. We appreciate each and every one of you for listening, and a simple click or brief comment can help us grow and have other TV lovers like yourselves find us. Feels like enough information, right? Yep. Till next time, keep watching TV.